Welcome to the Recovery Just For Today show. I'm your host, Lloyd B., and I co-host this show with my father, Lloyd Sr. This is the show that's dedicated to those who are in recovery, those who may be struggling with addiction, and we are a resource to family members of those who may be struggling with addiction. Each week, we try to share our experience, strength, and hope, and this week, we're going to continue on with our holiday marathon. We have been doing a holiday holiday marathon, and we've been covering our topic, which is focusing on the solution. And this season, we have been specifically focusing on the Celebrate Recovery model of recovery. The Celebrate Recovery model is a Christian-based recovery approach. And for the past few weeks, we have been uh, discussing, focusing on, the, focusing on the solution by way of Celebrate Recovery. So with this show, we're going to continue on with that. And there will be testimonies that you can hear uh, if you go back and listen to this um, holiday marathon. You will, you will note that we have uh, various speakers and this episode is episode um, nine of season three. And so I want to thank everyone for coming and joining us. We'll likely have one more episode for this season and we'll close out that particular this particular season. Uh, more than likely, it'll be around Christmas time. So I want to thank you all for tuning in with us this season. And I pray that something that we have said has been a blessing. So if you will, join us in a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. And as you know, for those who are um, returning listeners, we have a moment of silence before each show for those who are still suffering um, in their act of addiction and those who may have lost their lives to addiction. So uh, that's why we have a moment of silence for those who may be tuning in for their first time. So if you will tune in as we get started with the testimony part of this particular episode. God bless you. Got me. Um, so, um, y'all know me. I'm Brandon Lance. Um, I'm going to do my best. Um, anybody that saw me on Facebook last week, I put, um, an exaggeration of truth is something known as also also known as something else. It's a lie. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to exaggerate on what happened. I'm going to tell you what I saw. I've got witnesses that here that are here that saw it as well. And that's how the story goes on. And that's how the good news will be spread. Um, and uh, this does go into. Celebrate Recovery. I won't necessarily talk so much about Celebrate Recovery tonight, but it does go into Celebrate Recovery because 
um, without being plugged into Celebrate Recovery, I don't know that I would have ever had the strength to do what I've done in the past four days. Um, because I had to make a hard choice that led to what I thought was the worst disaster of my life. Um, anybody read my utmost? I didn't know. I, I, I'm unscripted. Anybody that knows me, I go scripted usually. So if I'm unscripted, you guys might be here until midnight. I won't keep you that long, though. But um, my utmost for his highest is a devotional I read on occasion. And uh, I was looking at Facebook this morning, and, and I have it as there as a like. And uh, the devotion for April 9th today is this. Have you seen Jesus? Mark 16, 12, after that, he appeared in another form to two of them. Being saved and seeing Jesus are not the same thing. Many people who have never seen Jesus have received and share in God's grace. But once you have seen him, you can never be the same. Other things will not have the appeal that they did before. You should always recognize that the difference between you, I mean, the difference between what you see Jesus to be and what he has done for you. If you only see him as what he has done for you, your God is not big enough. But if you have a vis- had a vision, seeing Jesus as he really is, experiences can come and go, it will endure as seeing him who is invisible, from Hebrews eleven twenty seven, The man who was blind from birth did not know who Jesus was until Christ appeared and revealed himself to him. See John chapter 9. Jesus appears to those for whom he has done something, but we cannot order or predict when he will come. He may appear suddenly at any turn, then you will exclaim, Now I see him. See John nine twenty five. Jesus must appear to you and to your friend individually. No one can see Jesus with your eyes. And division takes place when one has seen him and the other has not. You cannot bring your friend to the point of seeing God. Seeing, God must do it. Have you seen Jesus? If so, you will want others to see him too. And they went and told the rest, but they could not, that they did not believe them either. From Mark 16, 13. When you see him, you must tell even if they don't believe. Oh, could I tell, you surely would believe it. Oh, could I not? Oh, could I only say what I have seen? How should I tell, or how can you receive it? How till he bringeth you where I have been? Um, most of you know a lot of my story, a lot of my testimony. I've shared it a lot in the past year, and a lot of you know Jessica's story and her testimony. Um, she shared it many times, and uh, you know, you never here in Celebrate Recovery and in, in any recovery community, you, especially this is coming from 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 me right now. Um, you know, a person who struggles with codependency enabling, um, being married to an addict. Um, you're told and told and told and told and told. You have to make sure that you can let that person go and let God take over. Otherwise, you will never see true healing. 
you have to be willing to let them hit their bottom. But I'm going to be the first to tell you, letting someone hit their bottom is terrifying. Um, I'm not going to tell a whole bunch. I'm just going to tell you what happened in the past couple days. Um, so the past year, anybody that's been to here or sanctuary in particular knows that my wife has uh, picked up a bad habit that went away for three and a half years. My wife had three and a half years of sobriety. I never thought it was coming back. Um, something snuck back in. And like it says in the Bible, when a house is empty, if it's not refilled, not only does the evil spirit come back, but it brings back seven more powerful spirits along with it. Um, my wife has struggled with alcohol for a long time. Uh, this time, there were pain pills that were involved. And I didn't know it. It was in secret. I was always looking at alcohol as the problem, and I looked at the symptom of alcohol as the thing that I needed to be looking for and be on guard for. So whenever there was an alcohol incident, of which there have been now four in the past year, I would address the alcohol as a problem. And I did not know that there was other stuff that was involved. March 6th, a month ago, uh, Monday, month ago, Monday, yeah, a month ago, Monday, I was here um, for a meeting on, on Friday night um, with a, a group of men who I'm so greatly affiliated with and a community of which I never knew how much I would need so much. And while I was here that night, I did not know that my wife had a plan to go on a binge. Um, my wife decided that night to, uh, to drink some alcohol, and she'll tell you this story later on because I believe that she's gonna have total victory, but I'm, I'm just telling you what happened from my perspective and how scared I got. I never thought I had to reenact my relapse occurrence plan ever again, and I realized that night that I was gonna have to but um, I was scared to the point that something terrible was about to happen because uh, my son informed me of the issue. And that scared me. I had a conversation with my pastor the next day with Jessica and everybody that knows that we were having our wedding vow renewal a week later on March 14th. And we had it out here at a pergola. At a pergola. Um, and it was going to be, in my eyes, something that was just for celebration. I was looking forward to the changes that God has made. All of a sudden, that day, it wasn't about celebration. It was about standing at the front at an altar, staring the devil straight in the face and saying, you want him, come and get him. That is a statement I'm going to tell you flat out. If you say it from your heart, be, be, be careful. You don't know what you're going to get. I didn't know what I was going to get. Sunday, Saturday night, um, last week was normal as far as I could tell. I thought that she was 
getting back to being better, saying all the right things. Sunday morning, I realized that Jessica had been drinking again, and we were supposed to go Sunday morning service on Easter Sunday, and um, she didn't want to admit it, went through a series of arguments, ultimately, where I was looking for the smoking gun, so to speak, and, um, and, uh, and I found it. And a m- couple weeks earlier, I had had a conversation uh, with Mike and Tim out here on a Thursday night. And I'm so grateful because Tim was able to say to me what I needed to hear. You know, you can't fight harder for someone else's sobriety than they're willing to fight for themselves. And they asked me what I was going to do if and when it happened again. And I said, if and when it happens again, I'm going to get the kids, put them in the car, and I'm going to drive north to Michigan. No matter how bad I wanted to be here on Sunday morning at church, me knows that I love being here. There's no other place that I'd rather be other than here at Westtown. And it was grateful, I was grateful to just be able to be back here today after everything. Um, so I packed up the kids in the car, and I started driving north. I called Mike, and I told him what had happened, and that I was leaving, and that Jessica needed help. I called Jessica and said, are you a danger to yourself? She told me no. I said, if you are, please call 911 immediately. And that's the last time I had talked to her. I called my mom to let her know I was on my way. I called her mom to let her know I was doing, everybody was telling me I was doing the right thing. Mike was telling me I was doing the right thing. I couldn't get a hold of Tim, but Tim affirmed later that I was doing the right thing. As hard as it was, I didn't think what was going to happen happened. I'm throwing out names mostly because these people are witnesses to what had happened. Um, Because certain people just, I'm grateful, and I'm saying that this is the body that kicked in when I couldn't do anything. Um, Jessica's friend, Amanda Schick, texted me and said, something wrong. I didn't see what church I said. I don't know what's going on. I'm not at home. I'm driving north. And uh, she said, is she drinking? I said, yes. She said, I'm going to your house. I said, if you feel compelled to do that, you go right ahead. I didn't tell her what to do. I didn't ask her to do it. I wasn't looking for somebody to try to cover down for me in my absence. Uh, the next notification I get is, is that she's found... 911 has been called, and she's on their way to the hospital, and I need to think about turning around and coming back home. I didn't stop. I kept driving north, because this was just Amanda telling me that things were bad, and I said, okay, I've seen bad before. She's just going to the hospital again. The next phone call I got was from the emergency room nurse telling me things were really bad. 
and asking me if there was anybody in my family in, in the area or where I was. I told her I was on the road heading to Michigan because I couldn't deal with it anymore. And I said, what information can you tell me? She said, there's not much right now. She said, it doesn't look good. I said, okay, thinking. Just doesn't look good. That's what I'm thinking. I really don't know. I had no, no understanding. Starting to get worried. Should I just turn around, put my kids in danger, or should I just, what should I do? I'm getting a lot of feedback, too. But, um, I got to Knoxville, and I got a phone call again from the emergency room nurse and asking me again, is there family in the area? I said, no, there isn't. She said, well, we're really at a point where we need to make a decision. I said, are you telling me that my wife is dead? They said, yes. couldn't control myself. I stopped the car, called Mike, called Billy. You know, offering me whatever encouragement they could to give me the strength to keep. Is this my fault? That's a really good amount of feedback. Here we go. A couple of the choice words. And by choice, I mean they were, they were the right words. You know, you never know what you're going to say to somebody when somebody calls you in a crisis. What Mike says to me, when you can't see the hand of God, you can trust the heart of God. I said, I know that. I don't know what to do. Mom called me and asked me, what, you know, who can we call? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, I'm in Knoxville, I can drive to my father-in-law's house, who's about 10 miles away. And um, so I drove over to Knoxville. All the while, the last thing in my mind that was told to me was that my wife was brain dead and I had to make a choice. Anybody that knows me knows I love my wife. We have our hard times. I'm not always happy with her. But I love her in a way that I cannot explain. So, um, I uh, got to her dad's house, called Pastor Rod. He told me he was there with her. Mike was there. Billy was there. Tim was there. Gary and Amanda were there. And that there were a bunch of people already out there praying. One of the reasons why I wanted to share the testimony is that the only way things like this happened, of which the next three days after that I'll tell you, exactly what happened is, is that when I couldn't do anything as a bar- part of the body of Christ the rest of the body kicked in and took care of me and they held me up 
and it gave me the strength to do what I thought was going to be the hardest thing I was ever going to have to do. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know what to say. Didn't know what I was walking into. Didn't know how bad it was. I was gone. I was trying to be strong and tough as, as I possibly could because I had my three kids in the car with me as we finally made the decision and Jessica's dad drove me back to Georgia so I could get back here as soon as possible. And uh, I was being told that they would not leave my wife's bedside until I arrived. They promised me. And I said, okay, thank you. And, uh, but, um, the words being told to them all as well are the same ones that were told to me. She's dead. She had no responses. Her eyes did not move. They were fully fixed, dilated. No pain response. No more breathing was from a ventilator. No signs of life. White as a sheet. Cold. And so, I'm grateful to have people that when the doctors say that, say, you're saying that, doctor, but you're wrong, and I rebuke it. I'm grateful for people that called me up and said, we know what they're saying, but they're not the ones that have the final say. I'm grateful for people saying, no matter what happens, we're going to do whatever we can to help you. I'm grateful for people who had the ability to say to me, if ever you needed faith, now is the time you need it. And so we got back to Augusta at like 9.30 on Saturday night, and um, I got the kids so they didn't have to see their mom. Um, I went up to the hospital, walked off the elevator, and I was immediately surrounded with more love than I could ever imagine. Um, so grateful for people like Tim, who was the first person to hold, welcome me with open arms. You need a person that just holds you, comforts you. Tim wasn't Tim that moment. Tim was God. Tim was Jesus. And he let me just let it all out. Mike was praying, asking me for strength to walk in and see what I was going to see and to do what I needed to do. I walked in, and uh, anybody that knows Rick, Ricky Cool, um, a good friend of ours as well, he was up there, and he came in, and he prayed with me. Very clearly, these are the things that he prayed for. He prayed for a miracle. We needed a miracle. We needed a miracle. You tell God, I need a miracle. Jessica was still non-responsive. The nurse informed me that she was um, not being induced into coma. She was in a coma. And she was not responsive, and that it didn't look good. That's what she told me. I said, okay. 
people asked to come back and pray, and I said, I'll take all the prayer I can get one at a time because that's just the rules in the ICU. And so we prayed. When I was given one little teeny, tiny, small grain of hope in all that information, I said, okay, I'll cling to that little teeny, tiny grain of hope. And the neurologist says, we don't know exactly what's going on. It doesn't look good, but 72 hours will tell us a lot. And I said, I can hold on for 72 hours. Holding on for 72 hours in that moment did not mean I think something's going to happen positive in 72 hours. Holding on for 72 hours basically meant I can hold on and try to get myself strong enough to make the hardest decision I'm ever going to have to make and let my wife go. So I went home that night, tried to get some sleep. I got a little bit of sleep. I went to... You know, I woke up in the morning and I felt hopeless. And you know, one of the cool things about God is, is that where there are paradoxes and two things that don't seem to match up are in the exact same location, it's probably a good indicator that God is right there in the middle of it. I woke up hopeless. But I got a song, and I had Taylor play it. This song just kept ringing in my heart. And just listen to the words from this song. They are inside your head. You got a voice that says you won't get past this one You won't win your freedom It's like a constant war And you wanna settle that score But your brothers that beat him And you feel defeated This goes out to the heaviest heart
So I was hopeless. And that song was in my heart. I was hopeless, but all I could hear was, Brandon, watch what I'm going to do. You have no idea. I got dressed. I wore my tacky Holy Spirit t-shirt. Looks like a Home Depot shirt. I pointed at it and I said, I can't do it. If anybody's going to do it, you have to, God. I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to pray. If you're going to do it, do it. And do it now. Do something. Got dressed, went to the hospital with Jessica's dad, who was with me. People were already at the hospital, support and prayer. And uh, we went in, and uh, the nurse was a new nurse from the night before. And she uh, was asking me if I knew what this, you know, the prognosis was. I told her yes, that the nurse had informed me. And uh, she said, have you seen the doctor's notes? I said, no, I haven't. So she sat me down. Let me read the notes. And she looked at me and she said, um, it doesn't look good. I just want to tell you that. I said, I know. I'm going to go in here. I don't know what to do. I'm going to do. I said, so I'm just going to read to her. I decided that what I was going to do was instead of pray, I was just going to read the Bible to her. And so I went in, and I decided in my heart what I was going to do was that since I thought in my mind that she was gone, if I could just get through to her one last time so that she knew how much I loved her. Because when I left on Sunday, I didn't tell her that I loved her. So I wanted her to know that. And I wanted to have a little bit of comfort in my heart that at least if she could hear me, not knowing anything, that if she could just, in her heart, reaffirm her salvation. That's what I was thinking. I uh, took this Bible... And I started reading, and I'll tell you what I read, and I'll read it for you. It's a familiar chapter for our many. It has more meaning now than I think I ever thought it could. First Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. 
It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I told her I did not resent her for what she did, but I loved her. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Then come out that cleanly, promise you. Taylor, go ahead and show that picture. That's Jessica on Monday morning. Anybody knows Jessica knows how beautiful she is. She's not what she's supposed to look like. I was talking into her left ear, just getting as close as I could. Her dad was in there. He saw this. She was not responding. She was not doing anything. I read this chapter. Like I said, I will not exaggerate. This is what happened. I said, and now faith, hope, and love abide these three, and this is what and the greatest of these is love, and this is what happened. Her eyes were closed. Her, she was not breathing. She went like this. <gasps> I went crazy. I went crazy. I think that whole hospital could have heard how crazy I was, crying, weeping, praising, everything. I lost. I was at a loss for words. Anybody that knows Brian Cowart, I know that he knows the Bible, just, you know, front and back. I had called him up. I said, she needs the word. She needs the word. The word is the life. That's the source. That's everything. And I don't know any of it right now. And I'm usually a vault. She opened her eyes. She took a breath. The neurologist came in, tested her for pain responses. She winced and she pulled away. He opened her eyes to move her head. Her eyes moved. They were dilating. She was not speaking. She started opening her eyes off and on and started fighting for her life. She started fighting for her life. At some point during the day on Monday, actually, it was such a significant fight that the nurse, who had an affinity for calling me Baby Boo for some reason, <laughs> told me that I was going to have to calm down because she was getting too stimulated. I said, 
I'm not doing anything. I said, it's all God. And she's fighting for her life. She, uh, she had to be put in restraints. And uh, they said she still had a long way to go. I told them. The doctor that was in there that was looking at her, not the neurologist, but the other one, told me that, well, you've pretty much heard the neurologist, and I don't have anything extra to add to you. So and I said, and I looked at him, and I said, I hear you. You're right. You don't have anything new to tell me, but I'm telling you this. I said, she's walking out of here. I don't know when it's going to be, but she's walking out of here. So we went through a Monday, fighting off and on, not really doing a whole bunch other than what you can tell is very much a struggle for her life. She was breathing on top of the ventilator by herself. She still had the ventilator in her throat. Went home. It was a pretty good day on Monday with all that happening. There's still a long way to go knowing that. Tuesday morning, I woke up, and my prayer was simply this. God, you've done one huge step. Do one more. Do one more. That was all I was asking, was do one more. And uh, when I went in on Monday... On Tuesday morning, she uh, still on the ventilator, spent the time, but when the time came for us to leave for the morning visitation time to be over, uh, the nurse who had been with her all the day before was assigned somewhere else. She told me on my way out, she said, don't worry, I'm going to keep an eye on her. The nurse that watched, that was watching her that day was... Um, telling me that she had come in on Sunday during the day and saw her being moved up here. She said, from what she saw on Monday morning, she was already saying, this is the kind of thing that if somebody doesn't believe in God, they better start praying because he's obviously very real. And this is, uh, so, um, in the course of the time, Jessica and her wrestling decided that she didn't want the ventilator in her throat anymore and she ripped it out herself. And anybody that knows Jessica knows that's very much like her. <laughs> but um, nurse came back and Jasmine to have a high five, told me. She said she took it out herself. She's breathing on her own. She doesn't have a ventilator on. So we were very excited. So you can imagine my disappointment when I go back in there, expecting for there to be reason to have more hope than I did when I left. And the words for the doc from the doctor were, yeah, this isn't normal. Uh, she should be much further along. That's not her doing anything. That's just whatever. I looked at the doctor, I was nauseous, I almost threw up, I had to actually leave, but I told him, basically, I said, 
I hear what you're saying. Please just stop talking. You're not helping. You're hurting. Just be quiet. I understand. Just be quiet. The rest of the day, I didn't feel like doing much talking to anybody. Didn't have the strength to talk to anybody. Everybody that was up there. There's so many people up there encouraging me, supporting me. And encouraging and supporting Jessica. Encouraging and supporting her family. And, uh, but I felt, I told the nurse at one point, and I've been to Iraq, and as everybody knows, I said, this feels like the hardest fighting that I saw when I was in Iraq, only magnified by a degree that which I cannot explain. I was wrestling with Jessica for a couple of hours, just trying to, I was, you know, wanting to get through her, wanting her to listen, to lay down on the bed, to just listen, and she wouldn't. And, uh, Two hours felt like two days wrestling with her. I was exhausted, emotionally drained. Felt like the little hope that I had was destroyed, and people came and just supported me. They said, you don't have to talk. We'll just pray, and they prayed. At some point during the day, I gave up again, and I said, well, maybe it's just this is as far as it's going to go. And... uh and so I just kind of let it go again. And, you know, that's kind of like we're, I, I got a feeling that's like, that's where God wants us. Stop trying to think that you know what's best and just let me work. And uh, a nurse came and I was working with her all day and uh, she waited for me and her dad and said, she didn't say anything. She just said, come here. And uh, just kind of put my hands on my pocket, and I was just walking. I was like, well, there must be some reason why she's wanting me to just come back there, and she's doing it, you know, kind of not without telling me. And I walked in, and she said, yeah, um, just a little bit ago, she opened her eyes. She wasn't fighting us. I asked her to squeeze my hand. She squeezed it. I asked her if she wanted to see her husband, and she nodded. She looked at me. She didn't say anything. She just looked at me. So without talking, still on the ventilator. But like just the nozzle, the, the cover, breathing on her own, but giving extra oxygen. And she, uh, she looked at me. So I went home that night. And it felt like I had been a little bit restored, which is really probably an understatement. She was calmed down after I had been wrestling her for hours. She was listening and following instructions. I went back that night, new nurse, same one that had been there the night before and the night before that, the same one that told me that didn't look good on Sunday night. And this is now Tuesday night. And Jessica was in the same state as we had left when we left on Tuesday afternoon. 
she came in and she said she still was, you know, waking up, acknowledging us. And she said, she's still not talking. And I said, okay. Funny thing is, is that before I went back there, I said to God in a prayer, I said, you know, God, you're not obligated to go by my timeline, and you are working leaps and bounds faster than I could have ever imagined. So let's do one more today. I said, let her talk. I started reading the Bible again to her. I read to her for an hour straight. Read to her, reread to her 1 Corinthians 13. I read to her Hebrews chapter 11. Um, read to her Isaiah chapter 43. Read to her Psalm 91. Said a prayer commanding that God's angels would be there. Asking that God would command his angels to be there when I couldn't be there. And she looked uncomfortable to me, so I got her up, and I grabbed her under her arms, and she woke up. It was the first time she had woke up for me. And uh, I said, hey, do you see me? She nodded. I said, do you recognize me? She nodded. I said, now seems like a good time to start talking to her, I guess. So I started bugging her. I'm going to tell you this, especially for husbands, and they'll appreciate this, maybe even wives too, if their spouse said the other. Never have the words, stop it, sounded so beautiful in my life. <laughs> and I went and I said, okay. I can work with that. I'll stop it for about two seconds. <laughs> and I asked her if she wanted to see her dad, and she said yes, and I went and got her dad and went back and told her, but I said, she just said, stop it, you know. My excitement's much more calm now than when I said that. But two days. I got a text on Monday morning, or on Wednesday morning. I went home that night. I got messages about the wazoo here, so I'm going to try to find. So give me a second. Very, very, very special friend. And special group of people who were praying on Tuesday night for amazing things that happened. I was trying to sleep last night and it kept running through my head. Day three. She woke up and spoke. I couldn't help think. I couldn't help but think about the timing of this. She went in on Easter, day one. They said there's no life, no activity, no response. Day two, she began fighting. for life. Day three, she woke up. 
She's alive. Praising God for his perfect timing and life-giving breath. I went in on Wednesday morning, and not only was she telling me to stop it, but she was communicating with me, talking in sentences, asking to go home. Asking why she was here, asking why, 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 why did this happen? Oh, the amazing things our God can do in three days. Oh, the amazing things that God can do when you feel like you're at a point where your faith is so meaningless and you say to God, with this speck that I have, would you please take it and magnify it and do something? Do something in a way of which the likes I have never seen. I don't use the word miracle lightly. That was a miracle. My wife was dead. When you see her, she's far from dead. She's alive. She's going to be better than ever, is what I believe. There's a long road ahead, but I had to show, tell people, I had to share what happened. I just wanted to tell some people, just some of the, just the real neat things as I had a chance to finally evaluate because I do believe that God is a God of order, a God of logic, a God of things that just make sense even in the midst of what looks like chaos. He is a God of order. I made it all the way to Knoxville where somebody could finally get me home. I was in my family that needed to be there. Not only was he talking about needing to witness a miracle, which he did, but somebody that came back with me from my family we don't have a great association with and for any you know reason other than we just aren't real close says he so you know I hear stories of Brand, from Brandon and Jessica about how much their church means to them and how much they just love God and you don't you just he says you know to Pastor Rod he says and you always hear that and you say that's really nice that's really nice and when he comes back with me, and they embrace him as well, and he says, I need this. When I tell her brother, who is an agnostic, what had happened, and told him when she took her first breath, and he starts crying, and for the first time in his life says the name Jesus without malice, That's my God that I serve. And without a doubt in my life, without a doubt in my body, without, a doubt in any, without any ounce of doubt, I will stand here and say, there is nothing that God can't do. Amen. If you are willing to give up everything that you have. So I made it to Knoxville, which was one coincidence or one perfect thing of logical order that God happened to orchestrate. 
the EMTs that came up to get Jessica at my house and they were called 911 came up to the hospital yesterday they were told they were given word by somebody that the girl that they brought in on Sunday night that they figured when they drove away was dead had woken up and he said we had to see it with our own eyes so they were looking at her and they were speechless we started talking to them I took a notice of one of their names which is pretty cool I said you know you have a really cool name one of his names was Matthew Blessing I said do you know how awesome that is and I said I bet you have a cool name too as I'm talking to the other guy and I turned and much to my not being surprised at that point in time anymore. <laughs> he had a very, very, very cool name. His name was Benjamin. Anybody that knows anything about that name, especially for linguists or anybody that's been here when Pastor Rod talked about Benjamin's story. Benjamin means son of the right, the son of the righteous. I said, you are son of the righteousness of God. I said, you two are angels. And what more could they say? They walked in and they said, we are speechless. Everybody there is just left dumbfounded. People are being told and they're saying, I hear what you're saying. That's too crazy to make up. I don't say that we're miracle lightly, but I'm telling you that our God is a God of miracles and our God is a God that can do whatever he wants. And he will do whatever we ask him if we come to him with faith and we are willing to let him have his will and so it was something I just had to share there's a long road ahead Jessica's still very feisty with me she's arguing with me today even she's been arguing with pretty much everybody that goes in there isn't that right Misty Lever she's a vart but without a doubt in my body that was a miracle and all oh, the amazing things that our God can do in three days and she is coming out better than she went in because God said so not because I did so I just wanted to share it with y'all. And from the deepest part that I am able to muster up and say that this is not anywhere near adequate enough to express my deepest gratitude to everybody. I don't have any way of telling people or expressing to people how grateful I am 
for them to support me when I couldn't support myself. For saying words of encouragement when all I had was hopelessness. For speaking life when I thought I was looking at death. For giving me a reason to take one more step and having my heart saying, God saying, it's not over yet. Watch what I'm going to do. So I thank you for letting me tell that to you. And you are free to share. Don't elaborate.